Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel. You know that the partnership game is not easy, but it's so worth it. If you're struggling with attracting or maintaining partnerships, go to speakingofpartnership.com right now, click on the big red button, and attend a free webinar on the secret to starting your ideal partnership today. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I can't tell you how excited I am to bring you today's featured guest, Guy Finley. Guy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. I'm glad to be with you. Well, it's great to have you here. And let me just give a little background for everyone listening in case they may not be familiar with your work. Guy Finley is the best-selling author of more than 45 books and audio albums on self-realization, including The Secret of Letting Go, The Essential Laws of Fearless Living, and his brand new book, Relationship Magic, Waking Up Together. He's the founder and director of Life of Learning Foundation, a nonprofit center for spiritual discovery that's located in Southern Oregon, where he gives talks three times each week. Guy's also a faculty member at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, at 1440 Multiversity, and he's a regular expert contributor to BeliefNet and Huffington Post. Guy, do me a favor. Would you would you take a minute to kind of give us a glimpse into how you got started doing the work you're doing now? Because if I understand correctly, you started out down a totally different path. Yeah. Well, it, it seems like it was a totally different path. Uh, in essence, uh, I was born into a uh, a fairly famous show business family. My father, Larry Finley, and this is back before probably most of the people listening to us was born. <laughs> uh, he actually invented the late night television talk show genre before Johnny Carson, Jack Parr, Steve Allen, the names most of the of us older folk know. Uh, and as a result, I grew up, Ken, running around with the children of uh, the Arnezes, the Sinatras, Minnelli's, the Martins, you know, the, the, the children of the rat pack. So we were kind of <laughs> mini, we were a mouse pack. <laughs> uh, and, and I just, uh, I, I, I fell into the music, began writing, performing, and uh, actually spent about, gosh, I don't know, a dozen years writing and performing uh, as the first white soft rock artist on Motown Records, uh, then working with Neil Diamond at RCA, uh, scoring motion pictures, TV shows, things like that. But uh, right about the age of, I don't know, 27, maybe 28, uh, I just, I, I mean, I was successful, but I wasn't happy at all. And uh, I said that my past was sort of uh, different than where I am now, but it really wasn't because in those days and from the time I was very young, Ken, my interests were always along the lines of, I guess, spirituality and my music all the lyrics, everything that I did ran in that vein. And so when uh, I found myself 
remaining dissatisfied in spite of the possessions that I'd accumulated. I, I, I left the music business and began traveling. I went around the world a couple times looking to meet anyone who might help me understand why there was that contradiction. Because in the world, you know, if you have a lot of stuff, you, you've made it. But it didn't make it for me, and I wanted to find answers. Uh, and my journey all through those years up to today is the same one. I'm, I want to understand the nature of my life, of the relationships that life brings me, and uh, mostly to find a way in which um, that which is given to me through my, our relationships uh, proves to be something positive for myself and everyone else involved. Wonderful. Yeah, that's that is quite an interesting journey. Yeah. And it, it's I wonder, like when you were, you know, writing your songs, like you said, that this kind of theme went through your songs, even when you were doing that before you'd kind of got into the the, the spiritual, more spiritual path. Yes. Were you aware of it at the time? Or was it something you look back on and went, I've always been going down this path? Oh, no. Um, I'm trying to avoid a certain when I was about I don't know, six or seven years old, uh, my spiritual journey began. And then right about 11 or 12 years old, without going into detail, I had a very telling, I don't know what you would call it, religious, spiritual, mystical set of experiences. Mm. And, it, and it put me squarely on the path so that there was nothing that I did in life that wasn't uh, a thread of those early uh, initiations, those early discoveries that that uh, really, as a kid, you, you you don't know what to make of stuff like that. I didn't, but it it it, uh, it stirred in me something that to this day I'm serving the discovery of. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Well, I know your new book is focused on relationships. And, and here on Speaking of Partnership, obviously, we're on that theme, too. We focus on partnership. So, Guy, let me ask you something. I, I'm curious, with your background and, and like we were talking about the new book around relationships, what for you personally is is like a, I call it a guiding principle. Some people call it a touchstone or a mantra. But what's that thing you come home to in the in the midst of feeling like you might have got off the page regarding partnership? If there's one thing that I have, as hard-headed as I am, have learned, it's that there's always one thing that needs to be done before anything else when it comes to relationships. And not just in quotes with our partner. I've been, my wife and I have been together for nearly 40 years, but with the lady at the checkout stand, you know, the, the gas station attendant, even the deer, I'm looking out my window uh, at the deer that are 20 yards away from me. Hmm. Every, every relationship is a partnership of a kind. Yes. And what I've learned is that the most important thing in any given moment, particularly if there's a problem or some conflict, is that I have to attend to 
my part of that moment, my responsibility. And in this instance, for me, everything begins with learning what it means to become as quiet as I can and to observe myself as I am in that moment as quietly as I'm able to do it. Because so many of the times when we have a a disagreement with someone, we are seized, literally, by an instantaneous, uh, indisputable certainty that the problem in the moment has to do with the other person. Mm. I mean, we never, we honestly never see ourselves at fault. And what we have to learn to do if we want to wake up together, if we want to use our relationships for the purpose that they've been given to us, then it's incumbent on us as men and women to to realize um, my partner is in this moment uh, not the whole relationship. There's two sides to every relationship. It's an old saw, but it's true. And when we hold one side responsible for what the other side is experiencing, what we wind up in is a contest, a, a tug of war, a fight. Each one trying to prove to the other that the pain is the other's re- responsibility. And honestly, any pattern, any painful relationship that goes on as it does is because both people are complicit in something they don't understand that they are doing to one another because of what they do not understand about themselves. And that's the saw. That's my my touchstone. What can I learn in this moment about myself where instead of burning over what you said or did, I'm able to use that same flame as a light to start realizing, well, let's see, you know, we were driving in the car and my wife said, my husband uh, vocalized something that I felt was passive aggressive. And we all know that when somebody gets up in our face, the first thing we do is we push back. And when we push back, what does our partner do? Can you you play the other part here? Push right back. Push back. And so you get two people blaming one another for the conflict. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm interested in and what I hope the listeners are interested in. Can I resist something that my partner has said or done without having an expectation of some kind that he or she should never have said or done something like that? Can I? Sure. Meaning, can I get upset with you for being the way you are without having a demand upon you that I don't even know I have in that moment? Or is the real issue in the moment at least half what you did and the other half the unconscious expectation or demand Mm. that I'm living with that I don't know I have until you, in quotes, push my button? Yeah. See, that's what we're looking at. We we accuse our partner of pushing our button— and then ignore the fact that we have a button to push. Mm. Yeah. 
That's a good point. Well, that, that is the whole thing in a way. It, it doesn't excuse our partner for being cruel if they've been so. It certainly doesn't allow for abuse verbally and certainly not physically. But understanding that my negative reaction to your uh, comment is as much a limitation on the fulfillment of love and relationship in that moment as is the part of you that made the punishing remark. So that we begin to realize that, look, my partner is treating me in a way I don't want to be treated. They're not fulfilling me the way I expect to be fulfilled by them. And if we even get a little bit of that, we understand that so much of our disappointment and ultimately that which drags us into a fight isn't as much or totally because of what the partner's done, but rather because of what we bring into that moment with us that we don't know we have. And if I might say the last part, then a relationship begins to fulfill a much higher purpose because instead of blaming you for being limited in your understanding of me, I see my own negative reaction toward you as 50% of the limitation in that moment because nothing can develop, grow, or otherwise become more loving when two people hold each other responsible for something they're both responsible for. Yeah, that's that's kind of a game changer there. It's meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, it's such a great perspective because, yeah, obviously we we tend to, by default, dismiss our role in things. We only see one side. Mm -hmm. We only see one side. What we don't see, Ken, in that moment. <clears throat> All right, let's you and I, we'll do some roles here. Um, we're partners, mm -hmm. and I say something that's punitive, demeaning, cruel, maybe just a sarcastic remark. You have an instantaneous reaction. You, in the reaction, blame me for the pain that you feel I've cast on you. But, Ken... And we have to put ourselves, each of us, in these proper places. Would I say something to you that was demeaning or cruel if I wasn't in pain before I said it? Mm -hmm. Or is the fact that I'm saying something sarcastic, cutting, aggressive, passive, the very fact that I'm saying that to you, acting that out, isn't that an indication that I'm in pain and that pain has pushed me to do that? Absolutely. Now, suddenly I'm in pain, and I don't see that you're in pain at all. Because all I see is my pain that I want to blame you for. Mm -hmm. And what happens when two people, both of whom are in pain, and neither of whom understand the real reason for the pain, what do they do? And we know it's called the fight pattern, yep. the blame game, the incessant picking on one another, trying to somehow or other get the other person to agree that they were wrong. And when two people are trying to prove the other person wrong, the whole relationship sinks into a, a, 
a quagmire where all that can really grow is resentment between partners. So summarizing that, what we're looking for in this moment is to realize if I can, in the moment when my partner says the demeaning remark, the cutting statement, and I'm in pain, can I understand that my partner could not understand himself in that moment? Can I see that? Because if I can put myself in the shoes of my partner in that moment, then I'm not going to throw my shoe at him or her for what they've done. Mm -hmm. it, it changes the game because it'll, it, 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 it asks that we be individually responsible for the totality of the relationship in every moment. That's the game changer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very powerful. So let me ask you something, Gabe, because one of the things our listeners love on this show is, you know, how our, our, our guests are very generous. They, they share their own personal stories, their experiences that they learned from. And I'm wondering if you would share with us a time in your life when, okay, you tripped up in partnership, things weren't doing so well, and just kind of give us a, a brief synopsis. What were you doing? What did you trip on? And, and what did you ultimately learn from that experience that helped you move forward? You sure? <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, so vividly I can't even describe it. A point in my early days, I don't know, I was 20 or 21, and uh, I had fallen in love and we were engaged. And I remember, because, as I said earlier, my life has been about this journey of wanting to understand why it is that we have the relationships we do that are as filled with the contradictions as they are. I remember going and, and telling my fiancé, whose name I'll leave out, and saying, you know, look, uh, we're in the we're in the we're in a peak moment here in our relationship. We know we love each other. We know that we want to be with each other. And most importantly at all of all, we know that we don't want to hurt each other. Because at that point, by the age of twenty one, we've all been in some pretty slam bang relationships, uh, you know, heated physically, very excitable, deeply emotional very little understanding other than sort of being carried off in storms of, of bliss and bitterness. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I remember saying to her, let's agree no matter what, no matter what, that love is more important than any temporary disagreement we have. So that under no circumstances do we ever let a disagreement last more than whatever few minutes it takes to agree that love is more important than uh, opinion, righteousness, or something along those lines. And of course, she thought that was great, and we agreed on it. And then, I don't know, Ken, six months later, 
I was trying the best I could to enact what I knew was true with regards to what love is. Look, listeners, love never blames. You want to write something down? Love never harms another human being. Love never wants to punish anyone. I know that we've been raised in a world where, I know I was, my own parents express this anger and they say it's out of love. And I say love doesn't express anger. I say love changes an angry nature into one that recognizes itself as being a limited, impossibly uh, beneficial response. So if, if in those days, that's what I was trying to understand and live. And my, my fiance, there was no way under the sun that given the circumstances, she could do anything but stand there. And I remember her yelling at me and yelling at me, and I, I just refused to yell back. Not because I was afraid, but because I didn't want, under any circumstances, to hurt her, because I knew she was in pain. I was in pain. And she took my refusal to fight as the further evidence that I didn't love her anymore. Please think about that. Mm. And, and, and that was pretty much the, 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 the straw that broke the camel's back. At that point, my fiance decided she wanted something more volatile, something, I guess, that would satisfy whatever it is in us, and we have to agree it's in us. That was the point that wants to point a finger and find someone to blame for the pain we're in. <clears throat> so that in moments like that, Ken, is the pain useful to a relationship and its development, which it can be, which we'll discuss, or is the pain both the abuse of the person who identifies with it, let alone what they do to their partner through identifying with it? And the answer is obvious. When we're in pain, we don't know what to do with it. We don't understand that in this instance, just diving in a little deeper, something had happened that reminded her of something that happened in a former relationship. Now, she didn't know that afternoon that something would take place that would stir in her something that she had brought with her. We commonly call it baggage, right? Mm -hmm. Some baggage that she had no idea she was still schlepping around. And yet here was this moment, and you you know, baggage and button being similar, something pushes that button. Boom, she's in pain. And when she's in pain, what else can she do? Because she can't relate the fact that something that took place an hour ago is bringing up in her the fear of what happened five years ago all she knows is who's in front of her that may be complicit in the continuation of something that she wanted nothing to do with back then and certainly wants nothing to do with now. So the only response to that unconscious nature is to try to push away or otherwise punish what it sees as responsible for its pain. 
and I am not responsible for my partner's pain. I am, for all intents and purposes, if understood, an element at any given moment that might be useful to my partner to realize that they have brought with them into this moment something that can never know love because it's a hurt that's been concealed and does not want to be revealed. And the way we know that the pain doesn't want to be revealed is that rather than becoming conscious of it, we turn to an unconscious nature that lashes out at someone who's not even really responsible for the, revel- for the, for the, for the existence of that pain. I, I, I hope I'm being clear enough. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I love the way you brought this forward. That's such a great example of your experience with your, your former fiance and that she actually had this unconscious programming that said, well, if he won't fight with me, he, that just proves he doesn't love me. Right. And, and, and yeah, go ahead, please. Well, it's just what, what, what's interesting is, I mean, that's just one example. There's lots of different ways that we have these, these beliefs that say, oh, this is what love looks like. And yes. your point of, you know, love doesn't blame, love doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't have the ability to, to harm another. There's something else there that's creating that. That's it. That's it. And if we can begin to understand that and not be afraid of it. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'll give you another personal example because it goes right to the heart of this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, right about the time that... Uh, I left the music business. I was going through some incredibly deep <laughs> throes because I, I I loved music. I still do. But I had, without knowing it, become someone who originally was set free by his love of music. I couldn't have enough, do enough of it mm-hmm. into someone eventually through contracts with Motown and other publishers. Now, instead of loving to write, I had to write because I had a home in Malibu and horses and, 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 and I was saddled, excuse the pun, <laughs> by a, a host of things that I had come to possess, believing that the possessions were the reward of the freedom I'd won through my career. And so here I am and I'm thinking to myself, what, what in God's name has happened, man? Why am I now sitting here feeling resentment for something that three years ago I couldn't wait to do? And you see, the, the, the answer in that situation is the same thing that I'm describing with my fiance. A part of me that I was unaware of got involved in this gradual but definitive process of believing that who and what I am is determined by how others see me. Mm-hmm. And once that mindset sets in, then the way others see you as being profitable, successful, and authority is by accumulating the things that you do to prove that you are what you want people to see you as being. And so we step into a kind of trap where we identify with these 
possessions to such an extent that, as the old axiom goes, we become the possession of those things. It's the same thing that happens in our relationships, Ken. You said it. I finally realized that in that moment I could not fight and that my refusal to fight was to me the evidence of a kind of love that said, you know what? You may take this as being reluctance to love you, but I know in my heart of hearts that this is the most loving thing I've ever done because it's costing me, me. It's costing me this identity that's always so sure about itself when it's in a fight that wants to stand up and assert itself and be assured that you know you're wrong. That nature lives in all of us. And it becomes active in these moments where something that was hidden in us now becomes overt. And the real act of love, in the highest sense of it, is laying down our life for our brother, our sister, our partner, for those who know scripture. Because suddenly we get it. The real measure of my love to you is to die to the part of me that wants to hurt you because you're hurting me. And with, by, by God, I'm going to do it. And not because I'm a good man, not because I'm strong or wise, but because in that moment, love literally helps me see in myself all that isn't loving, but that pretends to be. And in that awareness, in that moment of observing ourselves at the onset of that conflict, we are giving our attention to something, we can call it conscience, that by its presence will not permit us to lash out or lash back at someone who has hurt us. We turn our cheek not seven times, but 70 times. Why? Because we understand that's what love is, that's what love does. And if I can add one more thing, Ken, mm -hmm. what do you think happens in that moment when you don't respond? Like I said, my wife said, my fiance said, <clears throat> you don't love me. But in similar situations, what happens is that your partner has nowhere to go with their anger. It's sort of love. It's like the jujitsu of love. <laughs> they throw a punch and you're not there. And they have no one to blame for the pain because you don't punch back. And suddenly they're left with the possibility of being present to their own condition. And that's when they can change. Because now you don't need to try to fix them, which you can't do anyway. But they get a chance to see that maybe some of what you've been saying is true. And they see it because you're no longer saying it. You're letting them see it. You're creating the space they need to heal. Because instead of um, cementing that pain that's concealed in them, by resisting it, you're allowing them to have the revelation of it because you've released yourself and them from the pattern of blame. This is so, so great. I love this guy. I, you just reminded me of a, a situation I have personally of a woman I was seeing and 
we were engaged and we got in a big fight. And I don't know what had me be aware of this, but in the middle of the fight, we were about to go to bed and we get in this fight, right? So she's like, I can't stay here. I'm not, I'm going to go sleep in the front room. <laughs> and so she goes out to sleep in the front room and I hear her crying and I realize I need to let her be there. And I don't know what that meant to me. I was just like, I can't go fix this. There's nothing that I can do. I need to give her the space to sort this out for herself. Yes. And so for like an hour, I hear her crying and I'm like, you know, I'm torn. I want to go out there, but I know it's not going to serve anything. So because I knew if I went out there, I'd just walk into the anger again. Right. So I stayed where I was, tossing and turning, not falling asleep, not enjoying being there, but being there. And about an hour later, she comes back in the bedroom and she crawls into bed and she gives me a big hug and she goes, thank you. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> How did, what, what do you mean? She goes, nobody ever did that before. Yeah. Nobody ever, like you said, gave her the space to get real with what was going on for her. Yeah. Isn't that nice? And look, she learned something she could have never learned if you had gone in and tried to fix it again. Exactly. Compromise, no matter how you slice it, seems to work at the level of a relationship. But all that really happens when you, we compromise, in quotes, is that I'm still carrying the pain I've got, mm -hmm. and you're still carrying the pain you got that we were fighting over. Mm -hmm. So agreeing to disagree is saying, let's plant this disagreement seed so that it can get bigger, grow stronger, so the next time something appears to produce its appearance, we can have a bigger fight. That's all that's happening. Hmm. I was sitting here listening to what you were saying, and a, a thought passed through my mind. I'm going to tell you what it is. What would happen, listeners, if we first understood that anger with our partner serves anger in us? Anger with our partner serves the anger in us that's angry with them. Everybody can understand that, right? That if I get angry with you and you're angry with me, we're both, we're both serving anger. Right, Ken? Yep. Now, what would happen if we could understand what we're working to understand here? That instead of your anger awakening and making me serve anger, your anger or disappointment with me awakened in me love that we don't respond with unkindness to unkindness not because we don't feel the unkindness but because we do feel the unkindness do you see it absolutely what a, what a what a world changer that would be to understand that when we respond with unkindness, when we respond with anger, impatience, anger, we are the instrument of a nature that was stirred awake into a negativity by a nature that had been stirred into a negative state. And two negative states 
sit there and try to arrive at a positive outcome. Impossible. So if that's ever going to change, one of us has to initiate the change. One of us has to be the one who steps up in that moment by stepping back and agreeing to use the moment for self-discovery instead of using being used by a part of us that wants to prove the other person wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if the listeners know anything about physics, but there's this thing called the Heisenberg theory that basically says that the observation of any energetic state by the fact of the observation changes that body of energy, mm-hmm. roughly. You familiar with that, Ken? Yep, yep. Is there anyone observing anything when we're fighting with each other? <laughs> or is anger blind no matter who is being used by it? Anger is blind. But if I understand anger is blind, if I understand that love cannot possibly produce a real, uh, uh, love cannot possibly produce a reason for being angry with somebody, then I have a new bit of self-knowledge, higher understanding, by which at least in the moment where I get ready to get set off, I can say to myself, you know what, guy? Let's step back here and try to see something about yourself instead of letting something tell you what it sees you is wrong with your partner. Why? Because the moment that I attempt to observe the whole of the moment, the very act of that observation changes the whole of the moment. The pattern cannot go on as it's gone on because the seed of the pattern has been altered by our willingness to use the revelation to release ourselves from the nature producing the pattern. Yeah, there's so much so much power in what we've we've been talking about today and I thank you for bringing this all forward because it's it's it so often goes unsaid. And you know, oftentimes we hear all these kind of surface advice, but it's 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 funny um, as you were sharing there. I remember I, I uh, had an interview with uh, Dr. Barry Siegel, or Bernie Siegel. I mean, uh-huh. and he said that when somebody you know is assertive towards him or angry or whatever, what he's found works best is he simply says, "I love you," and. As you said, that that anger has nothing to feed off of then. Yes. So then it just goes, oh, you love like I you, you love me. Um, <laughs> well, it, um, look, what uh, I'm not really sure why I'm angry. Or you yeah. can get down to the root of what's really behind it, not the, the charge, but the truth. Yes. And look, I'm all in favor of that idea. I don't know the gentleman. Uh, but I do know that that can become something incredibly useful if we understand why we're saying it when we say it. Yes. Because some of us can just learn to say that as a weapon. Yeah. 
right? Ha ha, I'm disarming you because I'm better than you are. But if I inwardly understand that to love you means that I can't harm you, and to not harm you means that I have to stop harming myself by identifying with these negative reactions that blame you for them, mm -hmm. then in that moment, I am the embodiment of love. Yes. Whether it needs to be said or not, that's another story. Yeah, and it is. You're 100% right. 100% yeah. right. Because, right? yeah, we can, we can leverage words to be manipulative, and that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. But you're 100% right. If you're embodying that, that's the game changer. That's what shifts everything. And where it becomes so beautiful is... For instance, I, I know you're in Colorado. Mm -hmm. I hope you're having a lovely fall there. <laughs> we are. We are here, too. It's just in Southern Oregon. It's just been splendid. And the color of the leaves and, and the fact that the ground is beginning to get that, that sort of patchwork quilt uh, color of new grass just starting to grow through these brown leaves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's breathtaking. And to the point here that when I look at something beautiful, the reason that I so enjoy the beauty is because the moment is revealing to me qualities of my own consciousness that I don't know are there until my eyes fall on these fall colors. So that the moment is really a revelation of something that's sleeping in me until my attention falls upon what I'm given to look at. That's why we love looking at the ocean, these majestic trees, a sunset, the late light of a fall day. Those things move in us, things that we're not aware of usually, but that are already a part of our consciousness. It's the same thing, Ken, when we find someone and fall in love with them. We fall in love with our partner because they introduce us to sensitivity, to joy, to delicacies, to intimacies, things that are already a part of us that we don't know are, and that because of the relationship, they are literally revealed in us, to us, as being a part of us. And we fall in love, right? Mm -hmm. So to the point of our conversation, why would that change when my partner reveals in me things that I don't want to see? They're still serving the same mechanism. They're still acting as a mirror of my own consciousness, but a consciousness that doesn't know the content of itself without my partner doing what they do to stir that part of me. Mm -hmm. I love it when they stir the sweetness but when they stir the bitterness, suddenly that's not mine, that's yours. Mm -hmm. And what we're looking at here is using our relationships, waking up together, so that we can move through these stages of love, where at first all we see is what we love and are completely enamored with our partner as the instrument of that joy, and then refusing to understand our partner is the instrument of our own revelations so that we can be released from unconscious parts of us that limit love, not just between us, but between ourselves and the world. Beautiful. I love it. Well, 
I got to tell you, Guy, I wish we could do this for the next three days, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> so let me let me ask you a favor. Would you let our listeners know how they can contact you, how they can learn more about what you do and keep this conversation going for themselves? Uh, thanks, Ken, for the opportunity to do that. Look, listeners, if you're interested, go to relationshipmagicbook.com, www.relationshipmagicbook.com. Dot com one word relationship magic book.com and on that page you'll have an opportunity to go to any of the major retailers and order the magic book the relationship magic book when you do that you get instantaneously a download of the audiobook that I read you also get instantaneously a download of a mp3 called seven ways to love higher happier uh, something like that. I can't remember the title. It's an MP3. And you get free access to a webinar that I just gave. Uh, it was streamed live and recorded. It was two sessions over three hours of material on the three stages of successful relationships. So you get these gifts for getting the book. And if you don't want to go to a major retailer, you want it to your local store, just get the receipt and go to the link on that page, and you'll still get the gifts. We want people to have the information. So relationshipmagicbook.com, relationshipmagicbook.com. And if nothing else, go to guyfinley.org, www.guyfinley.org, and sign up to receive the free special key lessons we send. You'll learn about a whole year of relationship magic that we're going to have starting in January, once a month, two live stream talks and dialogues with everyone that signs up for it. That is amazing. Absolutely fantastic. And for those of you who are scrambling for a pen and paper, don't sweat it. All you have to do is go to the Speaking of Partnership website, type in Guy's name, and we will have all those links there on his show page. So it's really, really easy for you to access everything he just offered you. So thank Excellent. you for that, Guy. Very, very generous. I really appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity to let people know about these ideas. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I everything you've shared, your insights, just incredible. Thank you so much for being on our show today. My pleasure, Ken. We, we're in relationship, aren't we? Working towards a common end, which is, by the way, to end all of the disparity and the anger and all the ways in which pain misunderstood is tearing our world apart. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. Thank you for that. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web. Have a great day. And remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.